Dilly King Kong. Your curiosity quest starts here. Welcome everybody into the Q-Code podcast. This week, the Travises outnumber the Barneses. So, two to one. This is strange. Travi, the Danny. Donna. La- <laughs> Last week, Trav had to be like, it's Travis, just one Travis, and Danny and Alan. This week, he's like, it's Travis, Travis, no Alan. Why do... And Danny. I don't sound like that. Not even close anymore. <laughs> Not since he was 17. <sighs> have we ever, have we ever talked about your, 18, thank you. <laughs> your voice before you hit puberty? That could be a whole podcast episode in itself. It I mean, I think that good. everybody's voice before puberty, though, sounds pretty high. It wasn't like it, the thing that makes Trav unique is puberty did not come. <laughs> Until that's, he was like seventeen. That's true. No, I think I came. Pieces. I think I came into the out of the womb, and I was like, "Mother, father, <laughs> good to meet you." <laughs> Were you also from Australia? In this <laughs> good day, mate. world, father. Good day, mate. Good to meet you. No, this is a knife, and he severs his own umbilical cord. <laughs> I was ready to get out of there. <laughs> Now, where's that crikey croc? <laughs> anyway. So, so, yeah, let's get back on We are continuing this week with our Real versus Real series. This is the last one that we have. Um, this week is Trav Mydell, who is going to be, if you can tell, if you're watching us on YouTube, which if you are, thank you for being the only one. Um, if not and you're listening to us, then uh, you won't know that we have backgrounds here um, that show what we will be talking about, which is The Conjuring. Now, this show scared the heck out of me. Did you watch both of them? What? you watch Conjuring 1 and 2? No, I haven't watched the second one. Because the first one scared me so much. <laughs> See, I, I told Trav my dumb thing. I don't movie. think I've seen the second one either. I think I've, I might, honestly, I think that I have gotten, like, weaker, wussier, if Uh. I can use that word, in my older age with horror movies, like, and I, and it started with the freaking paranormal activity, because Trap, didn't you and I go see that together? Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was scared out of my mind, and I've mentioned this several times on this podcast, I could not sleep comfortably for at least probably like three to four days after that i need to have my feet dangling out of the covers because i get hot and uh i couldn't after that movie because a demon was going to pull me from my bed they can do it Um, with the covers on so i think you're okay (laughs) (laughs) they come in well you might as well be comfortable until they pull them off yeah you know (laughs) but yeah the covers save you from things. I've got bad news for you. This is going to be the scariest episode ever. Because we're talking demons and ghosts. Yes. 
demons and ghosts. I have super sheets, though, so mine protect me. I feel like, Trav, you and I have flipped. Like, when you met me, I was, like, scared and cowardly. Like, when you showed me Halloween when I was 11, which is way too young to see Halloween, but you were also 11, so therefore... <laughs> I was a seasoned vet by that point. But, like, when you showed me that, like, I was messed up. I just laid in bed, like, on the floor, where I laid on the floor, and we did our sleepover out in our living room, thinking, like, I was like... Michael Myers is like standing like right there, just over my head, just waiting to stab, stab, stab. Now like <laughs> I can do this. See, that's the thing though. I can do the slasher films. Well, but now like as an older person, like I, I feel nothing. I'm like dead inside. I like go from like harder horror to harder horror, trying to find like a light of what I felt as a kid. So you just you just keep getting more hardcore. It just keeps getting each. more ridiculous. <laughs> like the like, I see it and I'm like, oh, it's not dark enough. <laughs> <laughs> I did enjoy the Conjuring films, so I feel that they are very good. So no, I thought they were they were done well. The one that I saw, I thought was done very well. <laughs> After this Conjuring episode, films? I uh, may have to revisit the because I I know I saw the first one, and I'm fairly certain I remember the plot, but I also could be mixing it up with other horror films because I feel like The Conjuring and there were other horror films that came out roughly around the same time that had roughly a similar story, or at least the shading of the editing was similar. So it made me think it was the same movie. Possibly, but um, there are several, because there's The Conjuring and then there's like The Conjuring Universe titles, which is like Annabelle and The Nun and like The Curse of El Narato or something like that. Um... (laughs) The Annabelle ones are pretty good. Not the first Annabelle one. It sucks. But the second two Annabelle ones are good. So like good as in scary or good as mm-hmm. in like, good as in like scary and like okay. enjoyable, but they're not, but we'll get to it. Let's say, okay. let's say. Yeah. Some. But before we get to that, we do have a quick question, which is, do you believe in ghosts? And I want it. I want you guys to keep your answers fairly short. I just more or less want to know a yes or no. If you believe in ghosts before we dive into this, because it's going to have some bearing on how much you believe as far as what is true from, the films of conjuring versus the real life conjuring events. I would say, yes, I do. Maybe not necessarily the ghosts that, uh, as a kid, you grow up, you know, just like sheets draped over, like, like what they do in Beetlejuice. But, uh, I do believe that there is something, some paranormal activity that can go on. So how would you describe paranormal though? Just, I mean, I know paranormal is out of the ordinary, I guess, but like, do you feel like it's God based or do you feel like it's just an entity or do you feel like it's. You you have to make everything so deep. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just talk about. We're gonna talk the about theological. Like, why don't you? Why don't you withhold your answer for right now? Because we're gonna talk about that. It all kind of comes into play a little bit with okay. this, well, this adventure we're about to take. Should I answer whether or not I do? No, Are you gonna talk I don't about really God? Care. <laughs> Just kidding. Of course, you should answer. I like how he's like. Well, should I answer about? Well, I didn't know who you're when you're like withdraw, withhold your answer or something. No, I'm not. I'm no. trying to act, Trav withhold his answer about uh, the God component because we're going to talk about God and how He fits in. Gotcha. But anyway, yeah, I'm. Um, I'm half Japanese, so we have very scary ghosts in Japan. So I believe in scary ghosts. 
Yeah, the grudge. Yep. Their their endings over there are never happy. They're always like, no matter what you do, you may have escaped in this movie, but there's another movie, and you will not make it through that movie. Well, I think they were born here, right? Yeah, but (laughs) he always talks about like, well, I'm Japanese, and back in in the motherland, (laughs) yeah, man. Um, they, uh, yeah, Japanese horror movies are always like, they don't even get another movie. They like die in that movie. Like they'll think they made it down. They'll be like at the hospital, be like, Oh, thank heavens. I've made it. And then all of a sudden they like turn the hands like, yeah. Well, it's like the ring, right? Like the ring. You think that they finally escape the ring, the grudge. Yeah. At the end, but they really don't like, it's just perpetually like, that's just how their stories culturally there are. Versus where in America we enjoy our good, happy endings, you know? So it wasn't until the late 90s, early 2000s that American cinema picked up on some of that Japanese style and started bringing some of those movies over, like The Ring and The Grudge, that were already movies. Oh, yeah, the remakes and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I thought you meant the non-happy ending, and I was like, that's not true, but The the Grudge. (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay, should we dive into the Let's scary? <sighs> lean forward. <clears throat> Once upon a time. Just kidding. Um, okay, so we're going to talk That's about the whole thing's going to go. <laughs> the entire thing is me, like, really leaned into my mic. <laughs> um, okay, so we're going to go through both Conjuring films, Conjuring 1 and Conjuring 2. But we're going to, we're not, like, unlike... Um, with some of these that are real versus real, we're not going to really go through scene by scene or even like story beat by story beat and determine whether or not things are true because what you believe to be true about these sort of varies because unlike, you know, with Travis's, um, the circus one, the Barnum Bailey circus, what's his name? Wrigley. BT Barnum. BT Barnum. Um, Wrigley. What's Wrigley. It's a, it's a field in Chicago. I was thinking of Ringling. I was getting uh, there. <laughs> working my way through that journey. Or it's gum. Um, but unlike um, P.T. Barnum, like there isn't like hard facts in this because there's like what there's what they perceive to have happened based on their beliefs, and then there's like what you could say actually happened based on like science and facts, and then there's like the movie itself, and so it's not like it's clean cut. And some of these other ones. So going through scene by scene is kind of silly, but what I want to do is talk a little bit about, because basically um, the conjuring one and conjuring two, if according to the producers are like maybe more true than any of the movies we've talked about besides like Apollo 13, like they went, they held really true. So there's not a whole lot of deviation. There is some, but not a ton. So I want to kind of talk a little bit about, um, the movie and it, its plot briefly, but mostly dive into what that actual story was like and and that sort of thing. Does that sound good with you all? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. So we don't need to be able to recall the movie per se. No. No, I'll give you like the high level. The movies, honestly, like the plot of the movies are not super complicated for either of them. Um, it's not like there's a lot of twists and turns, so you don't really need to know like the, the plots that much. Um, so within each of the Conjuring movies, there's essentially four stories that are told or two stories per movie. So four stories total. And that's like, there's like your intro story that kind of warms it up. 
And if you remember in the first one, they talk about Annabelle in the first chunk of the story. And then they move into the main story. And then in the second one, which you haven't seen, Trav and Danny, you can't remember and are comparing it to multiple films. They start with (laughs) the Amityville horror at the beginning and then move into the main story at the end. So let's start with Annabelle because it's, she is arguably uh, the most famous conjuring um, character. Uh, She's had three solo films and is again, featured in the first conjuring movie. Um, She's behind Trav. So here's, here's a basic, a basic question. Um, What does that mean? Conjuring? Like you said, conjuring characters or conjuring. Oh, well, they just call it the conjuring universe because. So is this um, like solely made for the movie universe or is this like something that was before? No, the term oh. conjuring is like to conjure up ghosts and spirit and that kind of thing. But the movie is just called the conjuring. And then they've, they've created the conjuring universe within the movie, which are movies that take place within the same universe as. Okay. So like the true story back in like the seventies or whenever it happened, wasn't like these events all happened in this one area and we've deemed them the conjuring. No. No. So the, the two of the main characters, um, and I can't remember like their names and whatever, but that, that is what they did. Like as in, like for a living, they would, they would go to these houses or, or they would get these objects that supposedly were being possessed and they would take care of it. And so all these stories and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Trav are basically things that they have told or things that they have witnessed and you're been right. a part of, and then they made movies of them. So that's why they're saying. Yeah, you're right. I probably should have gotten into that. I feel like I've gotten so deep into this a little bit that I'm starting to forget some of the basics that <laughs> like I've just had assumptions. So um, the woman and the man, the woman played by Emma, Emily Blunt. Is that who it is? Nope. Who's the main girl? It's, uh, what's her name from Bates Motel? Uh, I'm going to have to look Oh, she's, uh, where is it? But anyway, like the main... Vera Farmiga. Yeah, Yeah. Farmiga. And Patrick Wilson. That are in there, so... I, I did know that that they were like actually based off the true off true characters that actually went around and did paranormal investigations and didn't they even own like kind of like a museum or something? Well, let's yeah. talk. We'll we'll get to like a lot of that. So, okay. um, yeah. So their names are Ed and Lorraine Warren, and they were uh, Ed is a demonologist, and Lorraine, his wife, is a clairvoyant. Um, and so they kind of found each other by chance when they were like in high school and became high school sweethearts and got married. He went to war, came back. He was a police officer for a bit doing some other jobs. And eventually he, he has explained in his life that he's had several periods where he's encountered demons and kind of began to become obsessed with the topic and study it. And him and his wife who are both wanted to be painters started going around and finding haunted houses and painting them. Um, or houses that always looked haunted or were assumed to be haunted. And in the process of that, they began meeting with the owners and learning different things. And as they kind of went along, they began to learn more and more and more and sort of became experts in this. And they founded like a ghost hunter society sort of thing and did all these things. And they kind of hit a claim to fame with the Amityville horror in like the set in 1977, which we'll talk about in a bit um, where they went in and, and that became a book that was really popular uh, and then a movie 
shortly thereafter. And so they, they kind of became popular because of their involvement in that. And then it kind of continued to escalate. But for about, I mean, I think probably 30 or 40 years, these guys were traveling around the country, basically visiting houses and, and places that people thought were haunted. Now, Ed, the demonologist is one of, at least as of 1980, and that may have changed now, was one of seven demonologists in the country um, that were officially like official and by that title. And six of them were members of the Catholic church and he was the, or were clergy of the Catholic church. And he was the only one that was not clergy. It was a demonologist. So he was like unaffiliated with any religion. He was Catholic, but he wasn't a clergy. Like he didn't, he wasn't a practicing like clergyman, clergyman the yeah. tie, you know, or the little white collar and stuff. So he was, um, both him and Lorraine are practicing Catholics, but they were not, Catholic. And we'll get into it in a little bit here about where religion kind of falls into that, this and their relationship. But um, we'll kind of dive down into that in just a second. So, sorry, really quick. So were they, did, were they the ones that wrote like Animity? How do you say it? Amityville? Amityville. Like, no, they weren't. They just okay. were involved. The people who, and we'll talk a little bit more about these guys in a minute, but the people who were involved in Amityville Horror um, found their house to be haunted, ran away in the middle of the night, leaving all their stuff there, and then didn't return to the house for weeks, and then eventually partnered up with this guy and wrote a book about their experience, and the book became a huge big seller, and then the big then that that book got turned into a movie, um, and so forth and so on. So, the so only they were just Ed, involved, but they weren't like the, the only creators. thing Ed and Ed and Lorraine did with that was when the house was first started being haunted the people who lived in the amityville house asked a bunch of paranormal investigators including ed and lorraine to come to the house ed and lorraine were the most experienced and got a lot of publicity and really believed the lutzes who were the homeowners uh-huh. and got involved in that capacity but they weren't living there but we'll get to that in a minute let's start with um annabelle the most famous i would say of i mean amityville horror might be the most famous, but I think Annabelle is the one that's most famous for being directly associated with Ed and Lorraine Warren. So if you remember in the movie, now I'll refresh your memory here a little bit. The opening sequence talks about these two nurses who received a gift from their mom, which or who received a gift. One of them received a gift from her mom, which was this doll. Um, it would look like a Raggedy Ann doll, you know, Raggedy Ann. Do you remember Raggedy Ann? Yeah. But it did not look like the creepy doll that sits behind Travis's shoulder on his wallpaper. It wasn't like a porcelain doll with like dead hollow eyes. It was like a Raggedy Ann doll with the big black buttons for eyes and the red curly hair. And they brought it, uh, they got it as a gift and they brought it home and it's something started to happen. They would come home from work and they would find the doll in different positions than they left it. And soon they began to find the doll leaving notes and child's handwriting that would say like, help me things like that. Like they were kind of calling to them. And so, so the they, kids would find this, the nurses, they were two older nurses. They oh, were okay. So the older nurses got the gift of the doll. Yeah. Older nurses got okay. the gift of the doll. They were, they were two <laughs> nowhere, did, nowhere did Trav mention children. I know. I guess he <laughs> just assumed, I mean, look, I will give, I'll give Danny this. It's kind of weird that they got a doll. Like that. They're like adult women who got a doll. 
but that's neither here nor there. Like when Travis um, saying the nurse, I heard the nurses part, but I, for some reason was thinking the nurses were like the kids parent, like moms or something. And just went, to, went to the most complicated route possible. <laughs> um, no, the, they were just two nurses and the mom had kind of gotten them this doll as sort of a housewarming gift or who knows what reason, but she'd give them this doll and they would find it in these different positions. And like, they found it one night on its knees. Like they walked in and it was just like down on its knees. Now, if you've seen those Raggedy Ann dolls, they're like floppy. There's yeah. no bones. There's no plastic. There's nothing. They're just soft. So like imagine trying to take one of them and put that up on its knees upright by itself. I mean, it's just, it's yeah. impossible. Like you couldn't yeah. do it. And so they found it on its knees and they, they wondered what was going on. So they called in this uh, clairvoyant seance woman who came in and she did one of her, her seances and discovered or found that the, that the doll was being moved around by the ghost of a girl named Annabelle Higgins and Annabelle Higgins was a little girl who had died there. She had a good life before she died, but she had died uh, in this apartment complex they were living in, you know, 50, 60 years ago or something like that. And now, you know, there's nobody who, there's no one with young kids and the nurses were the closest they had to like young children, like to a young children. And she wanted to play with them. So she asked, can I possess your doll and live through it? And they said, yes. Now, that right there is the huge mistake that they made. The Annabelle's ghost asked through the clairvoyant person mm-hmm. if she could. So, do you if need she permission could live to possess a doll? To possess the doll to live in it. And they said, yes. Okay. What happened after that immediately began to be not so cute, fun things, but like kind of terrifying things. The doll was violent, they would throw things across the room. Uh, their boy, one of their boyfriends, had dreams that he, the doll would crawl up and strangle him and he'd wake up at night. And then he once went into the room cause he heard a noise and he goes in there and the doll like attacked him from the back and clawed him with the dolls made of soft claw, but it like clawed him and put three claw marks in his, in his chest and stuff. And so immediately the doll became very violent. And so they called in Ed and Lorraine Warren to come in and talk to them. Well, they come in and they immediately feel the presence that this doll was not possessed by a girl named Annabelle Higgins. In fact, there was no Annabelle Higgins. The doll was possessed by a demon that lied to them to get permission to live inside the doll and now haunt them. And so the only way they were going to be able to get this out was to do an exorcism and get this thing out of the, out of the doll and out of their, their life. And so they did not end up doing an exorcism, however, but they did take the doll with them away from the girl's house. Yeah, because that's what I want to do is take this freaking evil doll to my house. <laughs> well, it's like quite, I know, right? Well, and so they took the doll to their house and they locked it up. But for years, they had problems with the doll. For years, they would have talking. They would hear things move and they'd have workers. There's one story where a worker was over there and he was doing some work and he came out to Lorraine and Ed was on traveling and he said to her, he's like, could you like move that doll. Like it's kind of giving me the heebie jeebies. Um, and she's like, yeah, I can. And so she goes in and she said, she sprayed herself with holy water, sprayed the doll with holy water, said a prayer and then asked the guy if he wanted holy water. And he was like, I don't really believe in that. And all of a sudden a lamp goes and smashes into the wall. And he goes, no time better later than never. (laughs) Like like, holy water on him. 
and everything. <laughs> just drenching all over me. <laughs> and, and Lorraine, who told the story, like related quote that she's like, I've never met an atheist in a haunted house. It's like the moment you're inside a haunted house, like that space, you like find that like will to believe. But so the doll haunted them for years, but it was always very tame hauntings. Once it was in their house, it was like little things causing people nerves, um, things like that. It wasn't necessarily. Well, um, did you say they locked up the doll? They locked up the doll. And so the museum that you mentioned earlier, or Trav mentioned, um, they did have an occult museum that you could go to in the back of their house where you could walk through of the possessed items that they would retrieve. And the doll was there and she was locked in the case. And you can find a picture of it on the internet. Very easy. Just Google Annabelle doll real and you'll find it. She's locked in a case with a note that said, do not open under any circumstances. Uh, the Wasn't only that portrayed they- in the movie too? Uh, it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he okay. brings it home and locks it in the case in the movie. So, again, based on truth, except for the doll in the movie is much creepier looking than the Raggedy Ann doll. Yeah. Um, the only case they ever had with Annabelle of actually hurting someone was they had a guest of the museum who came in, and I guess he was kind of cocky little guy and started banging on the glass of the doll, challenging it. You go ahead, mess with me, blah, 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 blah. They booted him out of the museum for being a douche. And then... Um, he got on this motorcycle with his girlfriend and on the way home, he mysteriously hit a tree and died. And they, they believe strongly that that was him challenging Annabelle and that was her reply. And the reason they believe that is because when they brought Annabelle home, they actually had two near death experiences, getting her from the nurse's house to their house where their car almost drove off the road. Um, they had another car that was coming at them and it kept getting faster and faster and, they were in their correct lane and they decided not to swerve out of the way. And the car went through them like a ghost and had they swerved, they would have gone off this bridge. So there was many things that like happened that Ed and Lorraine claimed that happened to them involving this doll, getting it from the nurse to nurse's house to their house. So, um, so basically in short, the Annabelle section of the movie is almost entirely true. What you see in the movie from the notes that the doll leaves to the way the doll is handled, to what Ed and Lorraine do when they come and visit and retrieve the doll is all truthfully. So the conjuring first 20 minutes of the movie check for being true. Now, again, the thing to keep in mind is like, we don't real like it sort of depends on what you believe, right? So this is the belief, the truth and the fullness of it is the truth that we are given from Ed and Lorraine and from these nurses. It, it doesn't necessarily mean that the things per- like that the doll actually floated or that it actually yeah. attacked the guy, but that's what we're told. That's what was told. Yes. That was the story they told. That was and the so, story they told. Yeah. It's true as far as what they tell to be true. As far as what they tell to be true. Okay. So, so I want to, oh, one last ahead, question on Annabelle. Sorry. So no, you're fine. They took her back to their house and they locked her up. Like you said, but why was she just out? Um, or did the guy want her to take her out of the cage or the case? The guy who was messing with her? He was just taunting no, her. The, like no, like not that guy. The dude that didn't want holy water at first and then wanted holy water once the Oh, I think I, the story was pretty vague. It just um, said that he was doing some work for them and felt uncomfortable by the doll and wanted it moved. Okay, so we don't know if it was in like office. in the case at that time or if Not it clear. was probably like sitting was. on their couch. It probably was. They didn't leave it outside of the case. From what I understand, it was in the case from pretty much the whole time. Um, yeah, the whole time. Now, with Annabelle, I guess it should be noted that the two spinoff, the three spinoff movies, there's three. There's Annabelle, and then there's Annabelle Crea- Creation, I think, is the second one. And then there's Annabelle Comes Home. Um, 
Those are not true. There's virtually no truth in any of them. Annabelle Comes Home has a little bit of truth in the beginning where they see some of those car troubles that Ed and Lorraine have, but the actual movies about the origin don't really, they're all kind of fictionalized to add to the character. What you see in The Conjuring, however, is true by definition. But these are still part of the Conjuring universe, the Annabelle, three Annabelle movies. Yeah, the three Annabelle movies that came out for the Conjuring universe are not true. They are based just off the character written by the writers. The one, the story of Annabelle you see uh, in the Conjuring movie, the main one is true. True. It's based off of the truth. It's the the true story. The other ones are just added to, to kind of keep that lovable character, that scamp (laughs) Annabelle going in the show. Uh, Trav. I was, never mind. <laughs> okay. Okay. So now I want to talk about the conjuring movie, the, the main part of the story, which involves the haunting of the Perrin house. Um, but before I do that, like I want to kind of tell you guys a little bit about what I read, because I think it's important to kind of understand a few things going into it as far as trying to determine what is true and not true. Um, and the main thing that we want to talk about a little bit um, is the difference between ghosts and demons or demonic spirits because there is a difference. Um, now, all this information that I'm going to be telling you comes from a book called The Demonologist, and it's written about Ed and uh, Lorraine Warren, and it's like from the 1980s. And we're going to talk about the validity of this book in a little bit, but like, it's I read the whole book in preparation for this podcast, and it talks. I learned well, probably way too much about ghosts and demons. And there were some creepy stories in there, spooked me a little. Um, <laughs> You know, I can't it, read it. It's, it's I'm, we're going to do a reading from it. So you're going to get a piece of it and it's terrifying. Okay. So and I would, and for anybody who would be interested, um, I'll, we'll make sure we get that book and put it in the show notes so you can have a link to it. Yeah, we can put it in there for sure. So the, so Ed talks a lot about in the book, um, the difference between ghosts and demonic spirits. Now the biggest difference is ghosts are people who have lived before and have died. Uh, but the di- ghosts tend not to be, we, we often want to like make ghosts violent uh, or aggressive. Ghosts are not really violent and aggressive. The way it describes a ghost is he says, it's somebody who has died in their life with like what you always hear in the movies, unfinished business of some sort. Um, and that unfinished business can range from anything. So he said an example of someone with unfinished business could be a woman who he said he knows of a story, true, a true story in his his book that he talks about a, a woman. They had a family who was being haunted by their mom who had passed away. Uh, the mom was the mom of three young kids and a husband. And she was racing home from the grocery store during a snowstorm. And she was very worried about getting home to her kids and she crashed and she died. Now they said that when they, she began haunting the house, she was haunting the house because as her last living moments, her fine, her, the thoughts that she had as she died was, I have to get home. I have to get home. So rather than going to heaven or wherever it is she should go, she went home. It's kind of like in Beetlejuice when like, remember when they wake up and they're like in their house and they're like, how do we get home? It was sort of like that. Now he says the problem with ghosts is it says they're almost like, um, he didn't use this term, but I'm going to use it because his description was much longer, but it sort of led out to this. They're almost like they have Alzheimer's. They know, they don't know that they've died really. They're not really sure what day it is. They're not really sure what's going on. They don't really know why people won't listen. They're almost like in a dream state. This is how ghosts perceive us. And in an effort to communicate to us, they move things around. They bump things. They make noises. They try to contact us. But they're not cognizant enough to to think in a logical way to say, hey, Travis, it's me, your dead brother, Travis. I'm here. 
to talk to you because you're just, they're so kind of disoriented that they, and so what he says happens in, with this woman in particular was she wandered the house around kind of cleaning. Like he said that she was like a maid ghost, essentially. She was cleaning and trying <laughs> to like the best kind of ghost. <laughs> I know. Um, Everybody like, should have one of those. And he says that they're, they're typically very friendly. Um, not friendly, but they're, they're not out to get you. Unless, unless, intense. unless their final thought was, I want to get you when they died, which is not often the case. Their final thoughts are usually something like, I want to be around my kids, or I don't want to leave my house, or whatever it is. Um, and he says, so because of this, you end up having these ghosts who are just like, it's light affairs, little things being moved. Um, now, another question you may have, and that he talked about in the book, is why you know, with the ghosts and we'll get to demons in a minute, but with ghosts, why do you have, um, why do you have some people who move into a house and find it haunted and other people who will move into that same house later or before and have no problems. And there is an answer to that. And the answer actually involves the emotional state of you, the person who lives in the house, as well as the emotional state of the ghost. So, so if they like sync up, then sort of, yeah. So as a person, we give off vibrations, like, we have, you know, an aura essentially that kind of talks about our state and what we are in. Now, the example he gives in the book is he says, imagine somebody who's thinking suicidal suicidal thoughts and they move into a house that's never had any haunting issues, but in that house, a man had committed suicide 50 years earlier. Basically, the aura of our suicidal depressed person and the aura of this ghost sync up and it's like flashlight. It's like batteries into a flashlight. It's like the trigger and the connection you need for both of these things to start happening. And suddenly you start having paranormal ghost activities. It would not have happened. And so that's why he says that ghost hauntings can be kind of rare because they sort of require the perfect combination. It requires somebody who has a synced up to this aura to receive and someone who has the matching components. Now, so that's that's why it's hard to like prove that ghosts exist because the people that you're trying to convince oftentimes are the people who are the most apprehensive to actually believe in or are very like well scientific minded i guess and so they just can't ever sync up to the vast majority of ghosts i don't think the syncing up is not necessarily syncing to some kind of like believing in ghost mentality it's syncing to an emotional state so if that scientist were to have gone through something like the family who lost their mom in the snow accident they were emotionally devastated at losing their mom and their mom who was a ghost was emotionally devastated at not getting home essentially and allowed the two to sync up and to experience the haunting whereas had the family moved there might never have been a haunting there because the family that would have lived in the house would not have been in that emotional state to, to trigger the connection with the haunted mom. Um, so, you know, and again, like you have to take this all sort of with a grain of salt from a guy whose opinion it is, but this is why you'll see ghost hauntings in certain times and you won't see ghost hauntings in other times. Is he ever uh, explained in the book as like you were saying, it's almost like a ghost isn't completely cognizant of what they're doing. It's just like, maybe like a reminiscent lasting memory or thought that's going mm-hmm. on. So you compare it to kind of like a, an eternal loop in essence, like that it person doesn't realize that it's been 60 years. Like yeah, time them, it's just like, like that. yeah, it's just like the same couple hours over. Well, and that's true. They had, they had a story about when they had kind of had this talk with this soldier who had died of this 
face. And the soldier didn't know, like, he didn't know what year it was. They were like, what year do you think it is? He's like, I, I don't remember. And they're like, when did you die? And he's like, I think it was in a war. I don't remember. And so for him, it had been so long and it turned out to have been two, almost 200 years earlier that he had died. And it had been so long and stuff that it's just like, I mean, you just, you're in this space where you don't get it and you don't maintain and it just fades away. Okay. So that's ghosts. Now demons on the other hand are what we experience in the conjuring movie. Uh, And demons are the same thing that possessed Annabelle, our doll we just talked about. Uh, Demons are very like he, Ed says, he says a ghost might scare you. A demon will scare you. Um, Demons in their intent is to scare you. They want to, possess you they want to have your soul their goal is to basically do anything to to basically ruin your life essentially um they just thrive on negativity they thrive on anger and so what a demon will do is a is a demon um does quite a few different things to to mess you like a ghost is innocent stuff like i'm moving my microphone to try and you know, get attention, I guess. I don't know. I'm kind of lost. I'm busy. Like, that's a ghost. It's like, I'm just kind of out there. A demon's like, I'm going to freaking scratch this wall every time you try to go to sleep because I want you to be miserable. I don't want you to get sleep. And so every time you go to bed, you get that on your walls. And then you get up and you go look around for it. You can't find it. You lay back down. You're about to fall asleep. And it starts back up again, right? The goal of a demon is to literally drive you crazy. They want you frustrated. They want you anxious. They want you. They want you in that negative state. They want you in that negative state, and they will target one person in the house rather than. So, if you're a haunt, if you're in a haunted house, which there aren't there are haunted houses, but we'll, they're not. Demon's not going to haunt a house because a demon wants a soul. A house has no soul. A demon wants a soul, so they're going to go where the people are. They're going to go where the people are. They're going to sing. Gonna see him coming. Is that what it is? Taking his soul and giving it to the devil. Anyway, um, so the demons want to be where people are, but so they're going to they're going to target one person in the family and just really exhaust that person because they want that person's soul. Then they use that person once they get inside. Then they use that person to take on other people in the family and kind of collect souls, right? So they so wear they basically wear down somebody. And once they wear them down to a certain point, they're much more prone just to like give up their soul because they're just done fighting. And yeah, there's three stages that you're going to find with the demonic activity. The first is going to be infestation. This is your little stuff. Claw marks on the walls, hearing dogs bark from a room that has no dogs, you know, things knocking around a little bit. Then you get a, uh, oppression. Oppression is going to be like, where they're really messing with you. Entire things are turning upside down. Your house is getting essentially destroyed whenever you leave it. Um, you come back and it's just completely messed up. Uh, and it's just kind of like, and you, and you can't escape. You can't just move out because it will follow you. It goes where you are. So you go to a motel. They told a story about a family who was, who was experiencing oppression. They left their house and went to the motel where everything in the motel floated and flew around, causing a huge ruckus. They were booted out of the motel for being too loud and went back home and found their home completely destroyed as well. Um, demons had just messed it all up. So it's like, you can't really leave. And then following oppression, your final stage is possession. And that's when the, the demon manages to get inside you, which would then you require an exorcism by somebody, which is what we see in The Conjuring. So if you watch The Conjuring, we actually follow those steps. Now the Perron family moves into the house, and right away, they start having little things that happen. 
infestation things. You remember the dog won't go inside? Do you remember that mm-hmm. one and everything? Like the dog's not going inside. There's like little things here and there. They're hearing like knocks on the wall at night. You know, pictures are moving and wiggling. Nothing dramatic, but like enough to kind of make you nervous. And remember who's the main one that gets targeted? The mom. The mom, right? And so the mom is the one that kind of continues to get hear things the most and everyone's experiences them to some degree, but the mom seems to get just amplified on and more and more thing. And eventually move into oppression where, you know, there's all sorts of stuff. You remember where the girl's getting like thrown around the living room and there's, there's just extreme things. And then finally at the end of the movie, we get into possession where the mom is possessed and she remember she's in the chair and it floats up and smashes down and she's got the sheet on her head and it's super terrifying. Yeah. Yes. And then I remember um, it all. <laughs> yes. And it haunts you. Trav, so, Cole, should we watch conjuring? No. I, <laughs> this is, this conversation is enough. I'm actually have debated several times of just deleting the picture behind me and uh, <laughs> just letting it go. I keep looking back and I'm like, all right, my desk. there's nothing there. Um, so before you go, because maybe, I don't know if you're covering this more later, but just if you're not, then on the con or the concept of the difference between ghosts and demons, mm-hmm. like you said, ghosts are actually like the spirit or soul of an actual living person who died. Mm-hmm. Um, so would this be, I mean, the background that I would have in religion would be growing up LDS, but it's the whole story where so many souls decided to go against God and Christ and went with Lucifer, basically. Um, therefore, their punishment was that they could never have bodies, human, like physical bodies, right? They were cast to the hell or whatever. Um, so are demons those spirits that never got So the I guess this is as good a time as any to talk about religion. Um, and you asked Trav at the beginning, you know, where his belief of ghosts comes from as far as God is concerned. And there's actually quite a bit on the book in relation to God. Now, Ed and Lorraine Warren are Catholic. However, they, um, they've expressed throughout the book, multiple times that they've worked with exorcisms in just about every religion uh, of all different types. And they have, have dealt with ghosts and demons, or excuse me, not ghosts, demons of all different types as well. Now, what they've kind of come to the conclusion is, and it's sort of like, it allows that if you have any form of religious belief whatsoever, you're sort of allowed into this world. You don't need to be Catholic. You don't need to be Christian even. Um, you can be Jewish. You can be Hindu. You can be any of these things. And it allows for these, your beliefs to fit within this umbrella. Because they said, what the demons are is the demons do not like goodness. They do not like positivity. And religion exemplifies that. So be it a Catholic religion, a Mormon religion, a... Um, you know, Hindu religion, it exemplifies good traits. It exemplifies honesty and integrity and, and God and fearing God and loving and being kind to your neighbor. And they do not like any of that stuff. So they will, these demons will fit in, um, can fit in essentially to whatever form of belief you have. Um, there's not like Ed was quick to point out that he doesn't feel that the belief of demons therefore proves Christ to be who Christ claims he is. Right. Or, Buddha or anyone else like the, the belief in these demons just proves that there is, there is a negativity in the opposite of the positivity yeah, that so exists. Demons are not Christian specific. 
not Christian specific, but they could be. It's, and again, it kind of depends. But he says that he has seen exorcisms performed in every religion. He has seen these creatures respond to, um, to you know, religious symbols of any religion. So the cross... So uniformly, they just don't like religion because of the positivity that surrounds religion. Um, so it doesn't really matter what they're saying or what they're doing. It's just more the emotion or the aura, as you said, that surrounds yeah, it. That surrounds it. Now, a lot of Ed's stories from his book hinge very Catholic. And so I think that while he does say that, I definitely feel that there is at least maybe it's because he's Catholic, but it definitely has more of a Catholic vibe. Um, Catholic is also, I think for Americans, uh, it's very easy to recognize religion. And so that's why it's used a lot in possessions because um, demons want to mess with you. They want you to feel confused. They want you to feel doubtful. So they will turn crosses upside down. They will do these things that kind of are intended to like take things that are supposed to make you feel good and add a level of fear to them. And so again, it's not that they are necessarily being Christian or anti-Christian in any way. They are just taking things that represent positivity. It's the same reason they'll smash family photos. They, they tear up memories. They do things that they want to mess with you. Another thing that demons can do um, that ghosts cannot is ghosts can move something lightly. Ghosts cannot move a table. Ghosts cannot move a dresser. Ghosts could move a computer mouse, they could shuffle it around. Ghosts could maybe move a water bottle, but they can't lift heavy things. They're just, they're just not there enough. They're not there mentally. They're not there physically. They can just kind of mess around. Demons, however, can do all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, and that's kind of one of the way, one of the sure ways you'll know you're dealing with a demon, which is what you see in the conjuring that when he like flings the girl or he, the, you know, entire thing, like tables are overturning and things like that all come from the fact that you're dealing with a demon. They also can do, and this is not in the conjuring, um, as much, but they can leave residue behind so they can do blood. Ectoplasm. No, not ectoplasm. <laughs> But it can be blood or, as they said, body fluids. And so Ed has said that he has seen them leave huge piles of crap. And so this is demons that can do this or ghosts? Demons. 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 Okay. Uh, they leave pee. He said that they were doing an exorcism and out of nowhere, six buckets of hair and spaghetti appeared in the room, which is disgusting sounding. And uh, he says that they have very gross, uh, foul smells. So, like, they'll make a house just stink. And there'll be nothing you can do about it. You can't find where the source is. And you'll just be like, my house smells like crap all the time. Which I'm like, damn, that is a demon right there. That's, <laughs> That's like real mean. You want to move my family photos around? Fine. They make my house smell like poop all the time. <laughs> and I then, would definitely um, try to leave. But then yeah. they would just follow me, I guess. So basically, like you said earlier, they don't. They're not, demons aren't attached to a place. So let's say, for example. Well, that's not true. I, I, they, they are not attached to a place in the sense that they don't have any, they won't haunt a house that's empty for 100 years. They want people. If a place gets people, they, will, they can stick there. Because we're going to get into conjuring, which is about a person haunting a place. Um, well, you said that one family like moved and went to like a hotel and then the demon followed him. Yes. And that kind of like a ghost can't do that per se. No, not really. I don't, he didn't mention it, but I would say no, based on what I read in this book. Um, there's two ways that you can basically get, um, 
you can get a, in, in touch with a demon. One is by, let's see here, hang on a second. I pulled it up. I'll tell you, I took some photos to remember if I can. Okay, so, so the law of invitation applies when people invite spirits into their life by performing some occult ritual or by deliberately trying to communicate with the spirit world through seances, rituals, and the like. Um, so that's your first way of inviting someone. And so in Conjuring 2, which you haven't seen, a little girl uses a uh, Ouija, board Ouija board to speak to speak to somebody. Now, I've always thought like all the way up until now, I was like, that's, it's so dumb that people think Ouija boards are like bad. And after reading this book, I was like, I'm never using a Ouija board <laughs> because <laughs> they bring it up. <laughs> I never, ever, just because of, you know, it's, it was always one of those things. It's like, all right, I don't necessarily believe in it, but what if? <laughs> well, and what the thing about it is, is, and he says this, he's like, it doesn't, in fact, in, in Conjuring 2, the girl doesn't use a real Ouija board. She uses a cardboard one her friends made. And the point is that he says in this book here is it's not the Ouija board that is haunted. What it is doing is this law of invitation. You are basically inviting the spirit in, and you're using the Ouija board as a means to communicate. When you basically begin to acknowledge the idea of a demonic presence and try to call upon it, you're basically saying, come into my life. And so a Ouija board invites them in. So does seances. So does these things. So like, so it's digital- like if you just picked up your phone and just started dialing random numbers, sooner or later, you're probably going to get somebody on the other end. Basically. Yeah. If you're doing that, um, yeah, it's like that kind of thing. It's like a, they refer to it as a CB radio, which you can tell this book is from the, <laughs> it's like a CB radio connects directly with other trucker ghosts. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's exactly right. Like you're exactly right. Uh, it's just like, it's opening the door and it's just allowing that to come in to your life and to be able to say it's okay. So in conjuring two, they, um, use the, this, the, um, homemade Ouija board, which is true, which is what started the, um, the, the, the hauntings by this demonic presence in Conjuring 2, which we'll get to in a second. But, um, uh, so lastly, uh, and then we'll move on from this. So, so law of invitation is how you get in one. And then the second way is the law of attraction. The law of attraction comes into play when an individual or family is drawn for some psychic reason to a particular place where infestation by negative spirits has already occurred. Conversely, uh, obsessive negative thinking can also attract negative spirits because the will is displayed as being open and vulnerable um, to allow that spirit in. So basically you can either, you can either invite one in by doing a Ouija board or you can move into one where they're at. Now the conjuring one takes place in that second situation. The parent family moved into a house that was haunted by, let me pull up her name. Um, so you will know it to be true. I was haunted by the spookiest named person, Bathsheba, who was a woman who had three children or four children and three of them died. And they believed her to be basically a witch. Uh, she was harassed and she eventually hung herself in her yard, which is Danny, your wallpaper. And so Bathsheba is, yep. And so when the Perron family in real life moved into this home, they were basically taken by haunting by this woman, this demon Bathsheba who had possessed. And this is where it gets kind of tricky because Bathsheba is not a ghost because Bathsheba is, and again, this is a little tricky. Bathsheba is the demon that haunted the woman who hung herself. 
So Bathsheba is like essentially a demon who kind of thinks herself human. She fancies herself having been alive. She wants a body. And so she. So wait, so this demon possessed, eventually possessed this woman who ended up hanging herself. Yes. Probably thinking there's no way out of this other than killing myself. And then Uh, now that demon is now back without having a body. It's never, I mean, it's never really had a body. It like possessed this person, but now it lives in this house, basically haunting people who move in and trying to possess them. So it's kind of tricky. It's not as clean cut as the second one. The second movie has a much more clean cut story. Um, But the parent family lived in the house for nine years with this haunting. The movie makes it seem like they were there for like a week before it all goes down, but they actually lived there for nine years. So that is one big difference between the movie and the thing is, and it, what started at first is very kind of like, again, almost goofy ghost things were like, ha ha ha, this is kind of cute. We have a ghost <laughs> to like very scary stuff. Um, they brought the Warrens in to do a, a seance to try and get Bathsheba out of their house. And that was when the mom became possessed. Um, however, the biggest difference between the movie and the real life is that in the movie, if you remember, Ed Warren performs an exorcist or an exorcism there. Um, He did not do that in real life. He would not have the the authority to present or to perform an exorcism and wouldn't have done it. What they did do was perform a seance where supposedly the mom, Andrea, or I mean, excuse me, the mom, Caroline began talking in tongues and speaking with a different voice, but then, um, and then was flung across the room. And the father was so upset thinking that it was caused by the Warren's, like problems booted them out and then dealt with the ghost for like three more years before finally moving out of the house. So it wasn't quite as clean cut of an ending as the movie is, but generally speaking, all the hauntings that you see in the movie and the ghosts and the way they, they handle it is all true. So I wonder how he thinks that that's all cause I can see in the moment, but if things continue to happen for three more years, like yeah, either really, he thinks that they're just like living in the backyard, just messing with them, or you would have to be like, okay, maybe it wasn't them. <laughs> I think it was just because they, um, it was just because they, they got worse when they were there. And Ed Warren actually talks about in his book that, you know, he's, he talks about science scientists and he says, there's a reason that scientists don't find ghost activity and that's because, or demonic activity. And that's because de- Demons don't care about science. Science means very little to them. But what can really get a demon going is religion because religion is what generates that goodness and that positivity. Science generates facts. Like it's neither good nor bad. It's just the reality. But religion tends to lean into the positive. So he says, typically when he would go into a house, it would honestly up the, the problem a little bit because the demon presence knew he was there to disrupt. And so for the Peron family, it might've been for them like, you know what, we can handle this better when it's, when you're not here, you know, <clears throat> and they were able to move away because again, it was not like, it was not one that was possessed to them the way some of these other stories have been that, that were in the book. This one was, tied to the location can people continually kept moving into the location, providing this a never ending realm of souls. So does that make sense? Any questions on all of that stuff? Uh, how do you do that listing? Like, I mean, by the fourth time in a row, 
I don't think, I mean, that's the thing though. It's like, that's what makes these so suspicious to some degree. And that's why I say it's all like other people haven't had the same problems, you know, and some people have, and some people haven't, and it makes it challenging <clears throat> for these guys to understand which one is like the right, the right one, you know, like, or which if it's true or not, like it's like, hard. Is to, it just a crazy person or is it like actually yeah. something happening? There is stuff that does seem like when I read the book, there was times where I was like, this seems like the, if this actually happened, this would be very real. Um, but then there are things like, you're like, well, they did move away and nothing happened to the house after that. So is it a coincidence? Was it just the right auras? Like, is that why it connected? Like the mom. And that was what I, one thing they meant they mentioned is the mom's presence in the house with the three daughters, Peron, the mom and Peron kind of triggered this demon who kind of fancied herself, this Bathsheba who fancied herself kind of the mom carer of this area. So who knows? Um, okay. So really quickly, I don't take up too much more time because we're already at like an hour. So, um, as you're starting that though. So basically ghosts are like weed users. They're kind of just like, whatever man. And they just kind of go through life lightly, just disrupting things around them very calmly. And <clears throat> demons are like steroid users. They get angry. Yes. Yeah, throw things. I guess that is kind of they a move good. lots of yeah, stuff. Are you having a hard time understanding the difference? <laughs> yeah, he has like, brought it up like three like times. Asking questions about the difference. <laughs> okay. I just find it fascinating and I want to make sure that I get it. <laughs> Um, Let's okay, come up so, with more analogies of what they're like. So, like, and how they like differ. ghosts are like bluebirds, just kind of floating around, flying on the wings, and demons are like pigeons that are dirty in the city and are pooping <laughs> on statues. <laughs> yes, I guess that's one way to describe it. <laughs> that's a good, good, good analogy as well. <laughs> um, okay, so The Conjuring Two has two stories in it: the Amityville Horror at the beginning, and. Um, the uh this called the enfield haunting that happens in in the second part of the movie or the majority of the movies around this enfield haunting both are very real events and both are probably the two most two of the most publicly acknowledged haunting stories um the amityville horror has been mostly debunked in the years since it's come out um with the lawyer claiming with the family's lawyer claiming they came up with the idea of the haunting basically to uh help him avoid some or to get him into trial or something uh, from the guy at homeowner. I honestly don't quite understand because I didn't read too far into that. Um, but the Amityville is a little bit, it, it does seem to be the, the f- debunked mostly, um, or at the very least, most people believe it to be debunked because of the things the lawyer said about them faking this story. So it's, it's the one that's a little bit tricky because um, the Warrens in their book, which was written in the eighties, swear by Amityville like swear up and down that it was true. And so now we've got this weird thing. We know that what we do know is that they, the warrants really did go to the house. That was a fact. A bunch of occult investigators did go to the Amityville house to explore it. What we also know as a fact is that the people who lived there prior to the Lutzes, who were the family that got scared and left, their son did murder their entire family with a shotgun. He killed both his parents and his, and his siblings with the shotgun. So there are facts around this house that, that do present that there are, there are bad things that have happened in the house. There is 
the the investigators who did come and like Ed and Lorraine claim to have experienced something there. But on the other side, you then have this lawyer of the family, the Lutzes, who said we made it all up in an effort to um, avoid trial or whatever, and also to make a boat boatloads of money off of this book, like boatloads. And so, um, so the Amityville is a tougher one of, of the four hauntings we get in the two conjuring movies. It's by far the one that I'm like, this is the one that casts the most doubt. And not to say that Ed and I wouldn't say that we necessarily Ed and Lauren are faking it. Um, though we'll talk about that really quick at the end, the possibility, but it is the one that raises the most questions around their authenticity. Cause if they are saying, if they're saying for sure Amityville was true and we know, or at least have a really good strong sense that it wasn't what other ones are off as well, or not as true as maybe we're led to believe. So that's, it's also on the other side of the coin, the Amityville horror is like the most publicized haunted house of all time. So like it might've just gotten out of hand quickly. So who knows? Um, but the Enfield haunting, however, which is what my pictures from for those of you watching at home uh, is about a family in England, uh, a single mom who was divorced and her three kids, two girls and a boy who were haunted by in the movie, they're haunted by the voice of a man named Bill Wickens. And he talks Bill with a, and he talks with a, uh, accent like you know one of those what, cockney accents or whatever Cock- anyway one of those british accents um cockney cockney thank you I no i don't know i don't i've never heard that word before so i was just repeating it it's like one of those accents it's like talks kind of like this you know almost like a pirate anyway <laughs> um it's supposed to be like british though Cockney. Uh, yeah, he's supposed to be British. Cockney. Okay. Uh, but not like a proper British. Not like this. It's like sharp and kind of like this. Kind um, of like if you were a, 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 a chimney sweep. Like, but like, oh, so a ghost is like a calm chimney sweep. A demon, <laughs> like a super angry chimney sweep. I feel like we're just going to continue to draw comparisons to that to help you. <laughs> no. Um, so with the Enfield the haunting, they had all sorts of things that happened around this house. Uh, things were moving. Um, people came and distinctly heard voices coming from places that voices shouldn't be coming from. The police were called and they found, they, the police recorded seeing furniture move on its own. It was unlike the, what we saw, the events in Conjuring 1 with the Perron family were pretty isolated to the Perron family and the Warrens. The events in the Enfield haunting uh, are very well known and have lots of different sources who came in and experienced variations on the haunting of this house. Um, in the movie, there's a scene where they realize that the girl is faking some of the hauntings. Uh, that is true. It was found out that the, some of the kids had faked a few of the haunting situations. Now, the reason that they claim they did that, which is the same in the movie given, uh, well, not quite the same in the movie. The movie gives a little bit of a different reason. In the movie, they claim they did it because the demons told her if she didn't do it, they would kill the Warrens, but that's not the case. In the real life, the girls claim they did it because they had so much pressure from people who wanted to see a haunted house, and often the voices and hauntings wouldn't happen, so sometimes they would do it just to please the people who were there. But what it does do is it casts a huge shade over top the entire process. Because you look at the picture here that I have of the girl being thrown out of her bed, you could, and if you could see the full picture, you could say that potentially she was just jumping off her bed, right? Like, and so like you start to kind of cast a little bit of doubt. However, because there were so many witnesses in different times and in different ways, there is definitely more truth to the Enfield haunting. Now, for the spooky part, 
Trav Cole. Um, Ed Warren look went look out to... Look around the room one more time. Yeah, look around the room. <laughs> make sure. The way you sit, though, sometimes, Trav, like especially when you like go that way a little bit and you kind of cover Annabelle, it looks like you're sitting in the rocking chair. Yeah, I've seen that a couple times, too. Really? Should have picked a different picture. <laughs> um, I don't want... <laughs> Okay, Why did so, I have to pick a picture? I didn't want the picture. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to read you. So Ed went out to visit this family with the Enfield haunting. Uh, and the girl, one of the daughters, who was the one that basically becomes possessed in the movie, became possessed here as well and began speaking in different voices, um, in a deep man's voice. And so he turned on his recorder and proceeded to, let me grab a drink here. Proceed to record the conversation. I am going to do the voices so you can hear the conversation. It is not, I'm not gonna say it's long, but it's a couple pages. So, but I want to get to the end because I, I want you to kind of um, experience this full because it it is truly creepy hearing the actual, I think conversation that happens. So when I do Ed, I will do Ed in a normal voice. When I do the demon, I'll do it in like a gruffer voice. So you can tell the difference. Okay. Batman. Kind of, which he'll find funny in about two minutes. Okay. Um, so Ed says uh, to the goat, he says to the demon, he says, you guys sound like something right out of hell. Do you know where hell is, Fred? And by the way, the demon had referred to his name as Freddy. Uh, and the Fred says, yeah. Where is hell, Fred? Yeah. How old are you, Fred? 16. Are you a ghost, Fred? Uh, no. Uh, yes, I'm a ghost. Who? Batman. I'm Batman. Batman <laughs> ghost. Then at this point, the spirit lapses into an array of animal sounds, most predominant being that of a barking dog. And Ed says, you want to be an animal? Imitate some animals. Imitate a pig. How about a dog? How about a cat? How about a turkey? How old are you, Fred? 78. I'm a liar. Tommy's a liar. I know. Can I sing a song? Sure, Fred, go ahead and sing. la di da di da Jack and Jill went up a hill to fetch a pail of holy water. <laughs> Are you a Christian, Fred? Yeah, I'm a soldier. I'm a soldier. When did you die, Fred, as a soldier? I'm always dead. Were you ever married, Fred? Did you ever have a wife? Yeah. What was her name? I don't know. How old are you now? 30. I'm 30. Do you know what day it is? Yeah, the uh, 7th. Right. Do you know what month it is? August. 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 August 7th. Where did you get those names? Fred and Tommy and Billy and so on. The graves. Do you ever go over to the old graveyard near here? Yeah. Why? To read the graves. Do you like the graveyard, Fred? Why do you like the graveyard? Death. Why do you, what do you think of us Americans? I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. Do you know where America is, Fred? I don't know. Can I come? No, Fred, you've got enough to do without, or I've got enough to do without you. Ed, Ed, Ed. What do you want, Fred? Smash the recorder. You'd like that, wouldn't you? Yeah. And at this point, the spirit pulls the tape out of the recorder. So they have to rewind it, put it back inside and the session begins. Do you know what I'm going to do with these tapes, Fred? I'm going to play them for some scientists I know in America. They're going to be very interested in you, Fred. I'm going to smash it in the night. Um, And then at this point, Paul, their assistant returns and he says that he can't find the holy water they brought. And Ed says, where's the holy water, Fred? I slung it. You slung it? If you didn't, if you don't bring back that holy water, we're going to perform an exorcism on you. <laughs> Do you want me to bring a priest in here? Yeah, all right. Bring him in. I'll kick him in the backside. What would you say if the Blessed Mother told you to leave, Fred? Yeah. Ugh. 
Do you know what this is, Fred? What do you see? A uh, cross. That's right, a cross. That cross means your days are numbered here. I'm going to chop somebody's head off. The next time I come back here, Fred, you better be gone because the next time I come, I'm bringing a very powerful exorcist with me, someone you won't want to mess with. Ed, 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 Edward. What is it, Fred? Let's play exorcist. Go get the holy water. And then they stopped the recording there. So that all came out of the mouth of a little girl um, that they recorded. So, Like the girl behind you? Uh, yeah, well, her or her sister. I don't know if you can see her sister. I, she is in the photo. Yeah, there she is. You oh, see her on the bed, bed. Looking super terrified at her sister raising up out of the bed. So one of those two, those that voice came from her, which is in the movie, a version of it, but it's from Bill Wilkins, the Cockney guy. Um, but yeah, so that is the very creepy version. There's several in the book, should you want to enjoy more conversations between ed and the spirit there are several and many well, now i kind of want to read the book but uh, i don't want to have bad dreams either i'm not i'm good <laughs> <laughs> um okay well let's start to wrap up here because i think now you know we're coming up well over an hour and i don't want to go too much longer um or we're coming up on an hour uh so basically you well, know one more question on that sorry go ahead how did the demon learn how to read <laughs> What did he read? The graves. Oh, the graves, the names. Well, actually, in this, they do talk about this. Demons are very smart. They know scriptures actually really well. They know about your life. Um, The demons, again, unlike a ghost, the demon there is not, when he's saying all those different ages and he's saying that kind of stuff, he's not confused. He's lying. He constantly lies. Like he's a pathological liar. He can't control the it's fact just, that he just you'll lies. You'll never get a straight answer from a demon. They don't want they don't want you to know their name, their real name, and they don't want you to know anything about them. They so everything you get is lies. And they Isn't it because like if you do know a demon's real name, you can use that to exercise them? Um they you know, the Catholic Church does strive to find out demons' names in exorcism, but they don't say why in the book, but it says they try to catalog all the different demons, which is how they know Bathsheba, who was named after the woman, the actual woman Bathsheba who died. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the nun who haunts this one, Conjuring 2, when you watch it, Trav, you saw pictures of the nun, I'm assuming. Um, she is named, where is she? Uh, she is the demon Valak, and she is a real demon that the, the Warrens did see in their house. However, they did not see her in Enfield. So that was adjusted for the movie. So they took the spotting of the demon in their house and took it to the, to the movie. So um, anyway, okay. So to wrap up, we're going to kind of get into the last little bit here. Um, so, you know, with, with these things, like I said at the start, like it's sort of like you have to kind of take everything with a grain of salt. Over the years, different things have come out that have splashed a little bit of light on some of these that may, that may, or, may, may or may not make the Conjuring stories true or not true. Um, one of those big things, of course, is the Amityville Horror, which we've already talked about, kind of coming out as being a hoax or at least having several people claim who are prominent and would be in the know that it's a hoax. Um, the family claimed it was not. And obviously the Warrens felt that it was not a hoax. Um, and so, you know, there is some wiggle room there, but there also is several prominent investigators who came out and said, you know, we don't believe Ed and Lorraine's facts uh, in the book that I read. Uh, you know, there's, there's a quote and I can see if I can find, if I can find it real fast. I'll read it to you directly. Um, but there is a quote from, yeah. So, he talks about, um, 
like scientists not knowing, not able to get the things we talked a little bit about this. He said, but this is from the actual book. It says from Ed, as for the phenomenon itself, a dozen investigators can go through a demonically infested dwelling and come up with zero because for the most part, the scientific investigator is fishing without a hook. The scientist coming at the problem with his stopwatch and litmus paper poses no threat to the infesting entity. Certainly the entity is not going to voluntarily tip its hand in its presence, but to go in with a religious object and an in, uh, but going with a religious object and an inhuman spirit will respond to the challenge. So that they use pretty strongly as for why there isn't much factual statements about it, but they do claim that they have things like the picture you see here, the recordings that Ed has of these voices and these different things. Um, some scientists went in and a, a few years ago and did a, in 1997 did a deep dive with Steve Novella and Perry DeAngelis, and they really investigated the Warrens and their New England, uh, or for the New England Skeptical Society, which was kind of like the anti you know, ghost hunter crowd. And they felt like they said, uh, the Warrens are a super nice couple, but they had tons of fish stories about evidence that got not away, uh, that, that got away. They're not doing good scientific investigation. They have predetermined conclusion, which they adhere to literally and religiously. Uh, and they don't ba- and all they do is base everything off God. So they, their opinion is, and this came out in 1997 that these guys, while very nice are more or less just overly excited and individuals. Now, take that as you will. They've got 40 years of cases that these guys have compiled, which is not nothing. Uh, they also are regularly called on by the, or were regularly called on by the Catholic church to, to perform uh, not exorcisms, but to go and work with exorcists uh, and to do like investigations, do investigations and things like that. And so it wasn't for nothing that these guys were getting this appreciation. Um, and then, you know, I think um, one of the big things though, that you can kind of, that kind of put, pokes a hole in the whole thing is uh, the what's called the, the Judy Judith Penny affair. Um, Judith Penny was their assistant. She was a very young girl when she joined, like fifteen, um, when Ed would have been in his like mid thirties. And she claimed in two thousand and seventeen that basically her and Ed were having an affair. Um, though she also claimed that Lorraine knew about it and was okay with it. Um, they. Uh, the, the, the challenge with this is, and what it does is it does poke a little bit of holes in like somebody who is claiming to be incredibly religious and so in tune with the spirit um, that they could go in the house and learn about these demons to be having an affair at the same time seems challenges odd. the validity. It does. Now there's a couple things that I would say that go against the affair. The first would be that the Judy, Penny, uh, Judith Penny affairs occurring in 2017. Judy's like 70. Ed is dead. Lorraine died shortly thereafter. Um, and the movie, the conjuring, which was based directly off Ed and Lorraine had just come out and she was suing for some money based on some misinformation, misrepresentation. So it does have a, one of those things where it's like, you sort of waited until yeah, you know, why'd you money. That so that, that could come, but I also do, you know, I don't want to, uh, not acknowledge that potentially she was in a ferry. It could be, it's not there. Um, another reason that kind of makes me question a little bit. And again, this is, you have to take certain things with a religious grain of salt on this, but like Ed mentions that when they perform exorcisms, the demons know everything about you. He was at many exorcisms and he says, often at exorcisms, demons will start calling out your sins to the room to everyone to hear. If he was having an affair with this girl, 
I feel like that would have been called out at some point and the Catholic church would have heard. Now that for that to be true, you have to believe in the exorcisms. You have to believe in what Ed is saying and you have to believe that he was there and that did not have the affair. So it's not the most solid rock salt of evidence that goes against it. uh, But it is something. The final thing that actually goes maybe for it a little bit was this mentioned near the end of the book. Um, Let's see here if I can find it. Oh, uh, yes, here it is. Lorraine says this, and I thought it was very interesting in, in relation to this affair. She says, conversely, the demonic spirit recoils when confronted with the positive. It absolutely thrives on the negative or what religion calls sin. And what I mean by sin is not the violation of arbitrary rules, but the delegate trans- but the deliberate transgression of the good. That is, sin is something that has a detrimental effect on life itself. Sin ultimately is spiritual immaturity, and those who are foolish enough to understand the value or to underestimate the value and purpose of life actually draw the demonic to them. Now, what I found interesting about that was she refers to sin as one arbitrary rules and saying that sin is something with a detrimental effect. Someone who has that thinking could potentially, and is aware of their husband having an affair might just be like, this isn't a sin in her mind. She may have believed it was fine. You know, um, Again, no rock solid evidence one way or the other. Um, The case never went out publicly. I don't know where it ended up happening. I couldn't find any articles that said whether or not this lawsuit went through. People claimed it was not true. Um, It appeared in the Hollywood Reporter, but that was the last I heard of it. So, you know, and so that kind of brings us to our conclusion here. But ultimately, like, I think with the Conjuring films, what you can take away is them being truth stories as far as... um, the people who they're based on perceive them to be true, whether or not there was actual hauntings, whether or not these things actually occurred is sort of up to your personal beliefs. That's I, for one second level, not be using a Ouija board anytime soon. It's a second level truth sussing out where you have to believe in the alternate truth to believe whether or not it's true. You know, you have to understand the truth there is no spoon. <laughs> there is no spoon. That's Travis, Trav just like Trav's trying been to escape the horror, the horror movie. He's like, let's just talk about I gotta move else. the Matrix. I gotta go Don't to- try to bend the spoon. That would be impossible. <laughs> <laughs> so did I, you answered the question, I guess, about Lorraine. Um, you said she passed away. Um, uh, they but, both have. Ed died so in 2006. Died. Okay. Ed died in 2006. Lorraine died in 2017 or 2018, I think. Just short, or actually, you know what? I'm not sure when, but fairly recently. When fairly did the recently. Conjuring, the first one, come out? Uh, the first one was 2000 and. Let's see here. 2013. So. So after Ed passed away, but before Lorraine mm-hmm. passed away. I think Lorraine, Lorraine passed away in 2017, too. I think she passed away the same year that that came out, that accusation. Though I found a weird note. They both, Ed and Lorraine, appeared on Road Rules All-Stars. <laughs> really? so, yes. In an episode, they tasked the alumni from the real world to spend a night in a haunted mental hospital in Connecticut and prove the existence of the ghost there. So well, I wasn't a believer until until you gave that fact. Now, well, because that road rules was a reality TV. Yeah, so it has to be real. There's no way it's gonna be true. So, 
but anyway, so yeah, so awesome. there you go. That is the conjuring. The conjuring. Well, you're gonna go have my nightmares now. Your nightmares. nightmares. Oh yeah, nightmare. <laughs> nightmares. Nightmares. Whatever nightmares. you guys call them. Weird. Call them the real thing. You always say you guys like it's just Trav and I that say nightmares this way. It's everybody in the world. In the world. <laughs> Nightmares makes more sense. How does it make more sense? Because, like, you can't escape it. And, like, a lot of times in a nightmare, you are looking in a mirror. (laughs) No, that is not true. (laughs) Not night, M I R R O R. It's not night mirror. Night mirror. (laughs) I feel like a good album for a rock band. I'm going to sleep and having night mirrors. Have you guys ever I'm had so a nightmare? I'm so sick of the reflection. It's nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, well, that was fantastic. Terrifying. Um, like I said, I don't do well with these topics for whatever reason. So, it's so weird to me. I don't know why. Like, I, I can do the slasher films. I think it's because the slasher films is like, it's it's a tangible villain or yeah it's something you like something that you're like maybe at some point i could punch michael myers hard enough that like i could get away or outrun him yeah but when it's well, like the paranormal like, ghosts or demons it's like there's nothing physical necessary necessarily yeah. for you to like well maybe fight. it's just because i do believe and and yes this comes from my religious background but that there is something um and uh, and because of that, it is more real to me that there are demons and, uh, and, and ghosts or whatever, you know, but it's as opposed to, yeah, I know there's like serial killers, but they don't manifest themselves in the form of Michael Myers or, you know. Yeah, the likelihood Eddie. of you bumping into someone of that, yeah. like of a... Of a even a regular essentially an, an inhuman human or like a, an immortal human. human that can't die in you know whatever it's or just this guy that you know like started terrorizing kids at a at a camp because he, he nobody paid attention to him when he drowned so I mean I think it's like it's the psychology of it too. Like the movie that scared Trav and I a lot when we were younger is the Changeling. It still scares me. And, but like if you really like, like literally I even thinking about it and I don't want to cry on camera. <laughs> it brings tears to my eyes and they're remaking it. <laughs> but it like, won't be as good though. So it I won't think, be, but if you really think about it though, that movie, there's not like it's mostly just putting things in your head. Like, oh, there's it's some sounds scary. or it's like there's a ball that just bounces scary. down the stairs or, but like, well, the thing is, there's not a lot that you actually physically see, if that makes sense. Like, well, the problem is when I haven't read this book now, like, it's like not all, it's like not jokes. Like in, you watch horror movies and you're like, oh, it wouldn't, like that would never happen. And you read this book and you're like, oh, according to this, it's exactly what would happen. Horror movies are like, ghost movies are like on the money, which is terrifying in and of itself. But just don't yeah. do anything to invite them into your well, life. You should be fine. And I won't because I'm pretty much a half glass or a, a glass half full. Yeah, you are. Guy. You're very positive. <laughs> so, or at least 
I ignore the negatives and just only look at the positives because I know what the negatives mean. So I'll just woo saw, keep the keep the positive energy in my life. Definitely won't play Ouija or have any seances, and I should be good. Also, only move into houses that you build. <laughs> it could be the land, but what sure. if it was built on a as long Indian as it's not burial ground or whatever. as long as it's not a burial ground, like ancient Indian burial ground. But Poltergeist. I don't, yeah. So what if a demon conjures up the energy to ring your doorbell and you say, Come in? I don't think it's quite you like just that. invited it. It's not like a vampire. Maybe and do be. you do that? Do you just hear a, your doorbell and just yell to them to come in? No, because I don't want to invite demons in. So That's I gotta, the only reason why. I got to check first. Here's the thing, though. It's not like the demon, again, I, we're not going to go back into this, but like the demon, <laughs> the demon does not like need to come into your house. He's not a vampire. He's not trying to get into your house. Okay? He's just, when he wants to possess like the doll, that was just to kind of further manipulate their world and to ultimately make this step to possessing them. But like the things that I read in this book that demons can do, Spooky man. Spooky. Yeah. So well, I know we, we got to finish that. This is Not. the last question. And then I'm all stop talking. But what if, if there is an answer to this, what is the end goal for the demon? Cause like you said, a, a ghost like has life. unfinished business. And so like, in a way it makes sense that they're just continually going down that path of trying to finish whatever that last thought was. But it, they demon, talk about this quite a bit in the book and it's really the demon wants, it does not have a body. It wants a body. It wants possession of your soul. It wants you to be miserable. Everything. Like it's basically just an incredible, it's like you said, the, the Christian version of it is that, you know, Lucifer fell from heaven and these are the ones who joined him. And it's that, like, it's that idea that these are, these are demons are people who want what they cannot have. And they therefore want you to not be able to have what they can't have. And so if they you look at it from that can. perspective. They like, because, you know, essentially we followed Christ, right. By uh-huh. choosing, and the the sheer fact that we're here with a with a body means that we follow Christ. Yeah. In in the in the pre life. Wasn't it like five out of six people or something? So spirits followed Christ. It was a third. Oh. Uh, Two thirds followed Christ, while a third followed Satan. So here you got the third, uh, the third of all of heaven or all of uh, God's children who followed Satan, who don't get the the glory of coming to the earth and, and obtaining a body and going through all life's experiences. So in that end, they are tormented souls who don't get to experience the happiness that we do. And because of that, they want that we have it. They want to take it from us. They want to, you know, hurt us in any way possible so that they can get it. If you think about it though, it would be a lot of people. Because think about yeah, it, one, one third of human existence, not one third of who currently is on our planet right now. Mm-hmm. Well, and that would be still has yet to be on the planet. I'm surprised that everybody doesn't have two or three demons for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> like that level, like those numbers, it should be like really. That's, you that's that song? funny because I was thinking the exact same things. I'm like the sheer numbers would, I mean, there had to be at least one 
spirit up in heaven that you know was doing a little heaven toking and just was a little out of it at the moment and didn't know what was going on and just this horde of people just started walking off to the left and he just went with him and he's like guys where are we going and next thing you know he's in hell never gets a body all because he made this mistake that one day i don't think that's how that works at all yeah, i'm pretty sure everybody but- had a choice <laughs> nobody <laughs> did like how did I get in here? Like, <laughs> hey guys, you guys all going to get bagels or something? <laughs> What's going on? Why are we down here? <laughs> I'm just saying, the sheer numbers, there had to be like one person, right? Like one spirit no. that was just like, this is a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, anyway, hopefully you guys all enjoyed that. I'm going to wrap up right now, but thank you for listening to the Q Code podcast. We sure in enjoy having uh listeners um although albeit not you know a plethora of people <laughs> just it's a plethora of pinatas <laughs> a plethora but anyway uh, right, if you're no. like me Fif- um, 50 people is better than none that is true that's why i'm saying we're happy to have the people we have yes um but if you're like me, uh, I mean, I'm basically going to go and uh, watch some Spider-Man cartoons. So with that, I say thank you. <laughs> thank you. and <laughs> Peace.